open to the scripture today, I have to uh, give a thank you and a shout out to Jack Callis for his inspiration on this sermon. I, I called Jack early in the week, and I, um, we had to talk about some other things, but I, I started by kind of bemoaning the fact that I had this text that I was wrestling with, and I didn't know what to do with it. And um, all of the other preachers that I've listened to or read, they're all doing the same thing, you know, and we've been preaching the same sermon, it seems, on this text for thousands and thousands of years, and um, you know, after a while, it gets a little bit stale. And uh, I think Jack shared the same sentiment a little bit, and um, so together we sort of tried to find our way into it, and, and Jack sent me an email on Tuesday, I believe, that just sort of cracked it open. And, um, so while I can take credit for executing all of this, I, I just want to thank Jack for um, I'm going to cover a lot of like biblical grounds. If you don't mind, I'd love to just give you uh, a quick like five-minute summary of where we are in the text. Um, we're going to be talking about Jacob wrestling with God. Have you all heard this story before? Jacob wrestling with God, yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with the story, Jacob is the younger twin of Jacob and Esau. And he is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. And Isaac is the one you'll remember who is the son of Abraham. And Abraham is the one who took his son Isaac up on top of a mountain, strapped him to an altar, and nearly sacrificed him before an angel came at the last second and grabbed his hand and said, hey, whoa, chill out, buddy. Um, and so Jacob and Isaac are growing up underneath, uh, excuse me, Jacob and Esau are growing up underneath Isaac and sort of his way of thinking and um, one of the things that he brings into the world is the sort of old custom of only blessing the firstborn son. And this sort of creates some division and rivalry among Jacob and Esau. And you've probably heard the story of how uh, Jacob tricks Esau out of his inheritance by selling him a bowl of stew after Esau comes in from a long hunt and is very, very tired and weary. He gives up his entire inheritance just to eat you probably heard the story about Jacob then has to run after that, and Esau uh, sort of vows to kill him, and so Jacob runs, and he stops while he's running, and he has a dream, and in his dream, he sees this great ladder, we call it Jacob's Ladder, and on the ladder, he sees angels ascending and descending from the throne of God. Then he goes to work for his uncle Laban, and he's tricked there, and then eventually, as he's coming back, he stops by this river, and this is where our text picks up going to wrestle with God. And so I invite you to listen now for a word from God. This is from Genesis chapter 32. That same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then the man said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, 
You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please, tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his head. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Good loving God, thank you for this word, thank you for this time set aside to meditate on you. God, I pray whatever word we would hear this morning, whatever wisdom we would receive, would come from you and not from me. Amen. So Isaac, father to the twins Jacob and Esau, has the same problem that his father Abraham. He can't quite shake the old gods, the old customs, the old ways of thinking that led his father Abraham to drag him up a mountain and tie him to an altar as some sacrifice. When he and his wife Rebecca have twin sons, he is still bound, not in body, but in mind, like so many of us raised to think in either ors instead of both According to cultural customs of the time, there's one blessing given from the father of a family to the firstborn son, and that's Esau, technically, in this case. That son who receives the blessing uh, gets the inheritance that the father passes down. This blessing, this inheritance, isn't just some flowery poem that the father speaks and serenades over the firstborn. Uh, this is about money. This is about wealth, it's about land, it's about power, it's about security. So Isaac, in this worldview he inherits and perpetuates, creates what I want to call one winner, so to speak, and one loser. One loved, and one hated, one accepted, one rejected, one who becomes rich, and one who becomes poor, lucky, and unlucky. But what if you have twins? What do you do when, like Jacob, the younger twin is born clutching the other one's heel? Many pastors have pointed out that this clutching marks Jacob as if he's cursed like Cain. They say it's some kind of foreshadowing of his tendency to get ahead by any means necessary. To steal what is not his. And you'll hear that Jacob's mean can, his name can mean supplanter or trickster or go-getter. We might say hustler. He's called deceiver, like he's one of Satan's minions. But that's the name that Isaac has given him. Isaac, an old man with a worldview marked by scarcity and division and binary thinking. This is not Jacob's true name. Over the course of his life, Jacob fights to secure his future, and he struggles to earn a blessing, to get what he believes should be his, as any and all of us would do. One day, 
when Jacob's brother Esau comes in from a long day of hunting, he's starved nearly to death. He begs Jacob to give him food, and Jacob convinces Esau to sell him his birthright, the one and only blessing, the inheritance from their father, for a bowl of soup. Because didn't Daddy say that this is how the world works? And didn't Daddy say there was one winner and one loser, one blessed and unblessed? blame Jacob for being tricky here like nearly every other preacher over the years if you want. That's fine. He might be to blame. But I'm blaming their father. And I'm blaming his father. And I'm blaming his father's father and as far back as we need to go for passing down this binary worldview where we can't share. Where there ain't enough to go around. Where, say, the top 1% of people in a country own more than one-third of all the wealth. Where children of those 1% are nearly twice as likely to be admitted to elite schools as their peers with the same test scores. Where white families are seven times more wealthy on average than their black counterparts. Where we can't find any money for education in this country, but we can sure find ways to make the rich richer, the poor poorer. Where it's one way or it's another, and there is no middle option. Rebecca, Esau, Jacob's mother, sees this problem. The good mother couldn't miss it, but she. This old way of thinking, she says, isn't fair. It is not helpful. This ancient patriarchal custom, these old gods. Can't you split the blessing? Can't you divide it? Can't you share the wealth, she wonders? And aren't they technically both firstborn? Didn't she labor just one time? And didn't Jacob come out sort of as extension of Esau? And aren't these both their babies? What does the length of an infant, Rebecca wonders, matter when we're talking about life and death? And what matters more here, she says to Isaac, the letter of the law or the spirit? Like Jesus so many centuries later, Rebecca asks, were humans created to abide by the law, the old customs, the old way of thinking, or was the old way of doing things created for the common good of all God's people. Can't we share? Can't we change? Can't we grow? And the answer from Isaac to all of this is no. No, no, no. Because tradition. Because I said so. Because this is how we've always done it. Because I'm comfortable. And that's just the way it is, and I'm in charge, and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Buster, and get a job, you bum, and life's not fair, so deal with it, and you know what? Just believe in yourself a little bit more, Jacob, and maybe good things will come to you. Rebecca rebels when her foolish husband loses his eyesight literally and metaphorically helps her baby boy deceive his father into believing the eldest son Esau has come to receive the blessing when in fact it's Jacob. 
and she grins ear to ear as Isaac speaks that blessing over Jacob, and not the firstborn. Rebecca, through her actions, and you might say her deception, reveals how silly this whole game is, this old way of thinking, these old patriarchal customs, because Isaac, the one claiming to hold and carry sacred tradition, the one wielding power of the future, he can't see past his own nose to even know who's he blessing. He's a fool. And here's the proof. When Esau finds out he's been tricked out of his inheritance, he vows to kill Jacob. And rightfully so, because there's a lot on the line here. But Isaac, great patriarch that he is, through his actions has set brother against brother with his customs and his traditions and his worship of the old gods. Isaac has divided his own house. And as Jesus reminds us in the Gospel of Mark, a house divided cannot stand. And so Isaac's binary thinking has infected his world, and it's sick unto death. And it reminds me of our own nation in this moment, which seems hell-bent on dividing rich and poor, white and black, Republican and Democrat, with no regard for the common good or the common issues that we are all facing right now. While running for his life, Jacob stops to rest and encounters God in the dream. And in the dream, God actually speaks a blessing over Jacob. And he says to Jacob, he says, before Isaac, foolish father, before Isaac and before his father Abraham and before all of your ancestors, he says, I am me. I spoke the world into existence. Isaac doesn't hold any power over the future. God says, I do. But Jacob can't receive it because he thinks he's already received the only blessing there is for him. And now he just needs to wait for his father to die so that he can go and claim it. Jacob misses an encounter with God because of his father's stinking thinking. <laughs> While he's on the run and hiding from Esau, Jacob goes and lives with his uncle Laban. And Jacob works for seven years for Laban to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel, whom we're told he loves. However, on the wedding day, Laban tricks Jacob into marrying his elder daughter, Leah. And so many here have said that, you know, Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine. The trickster is tricked. The deceiver is deceived. But I say no. I say again that we see Jacob at the mercy of a man in power who refuses to honor Jacob's work and dignity and humanity. But Jacob, showing his righteousness, his devotion, his love and faithfulness, agrees to work another seven years for his corrupt father-in-law to chase the love of his life. Jacob prospers during this time, and many will say because it's you know, he deceives Laban by sneakily breeding his livestock and keeping some for his own, but actually I think he's only earning back 
what he was owed for all the lost years of his life. He's only taking into his hands the act of reparation because no one is coming to do it for him. He's only manifesting justice in an unjust world, and he does so not by taking from Laban and giving to himself like some sort of selfish Robin Hood, but he does it by increasing for Laban and his wealth and also for himself. Under Jacob, everybody wins. Nobody loses. It's both and, not either or. But Laban, like Isaac, doesn't see the world this way. And so again, Jacob has to flee. On his way home, because he has nowhere else to go, Jacob stops by a river to rest. And he meets a mysterious man that he wrestles with all night. The man is God. And Jacob, full of rage, refuses to let go of God until he is blessed. Until, we might say, some respect is put on his name. Until ultimate authority vows to see him as his mother has seen him. As he should be seen. As we all desire to be seen. Not as trickster. Not as deceiver. But as human being. As a beloved of God. Jacob, like so many in this world, has wrestled with a world that at every turn seeks to keep him down, under its thumb, foot on the back of his neck, until he just goes away. And he won't give in. He won't accept the fate his father wants him to inherit, even if it kills him. He will resist until he gets what he wants and deserves, and eventually he does. He wins. He beats God in a wrestling match. Or maybe we'd all feel a little bit more comfortable if I said, oh God, God let you. And that was his concession. This encounter leaves Jacob broken in body like Jesus, but spiritually transformed. Because Jacob realizes that while his father has a custom of picking winners and losers, blessed and unblessed, and thus has created a world and a culture where families are divided and compete for what seem like finite resources, where the only game is getting ahead and self-improvement. Even though his father has tried to pass on this world to him, Jacob resists it until he sees clearly that God does not operate this way, until he meets a God that is more than willing to lose. A God willing to bend and break. A God who does not mind upsetting those old, tired, patriarchal customs. And then Jacob sees that if this is the case, if this is truly who God is, there's got to be a middle way. So after wrestling with God and winning, Jacob offers up all he has gained, deserves, and has been blessed with. His food, his livestock, his wealth, and even his family. And he puts it all on the altar to give away, to let Esau, his brother, who he's walking to meet, to let Esau decide what to do with him. 
In this way, Jacob follows the path of God that we are all called to follow. The path toward defeat and vulnerability. The path toward uncertainty. Toward what appears to be certain death. Like Christ, bruised and bloody, with a cross on his back, limping to the place of the skull to be crucified, Jacob limps all the way to his brother's feet, ready to accept whatever may come. And he teaches us, like Christ, that this is the only way to dismantle the patriarch's world, to give it all up, refuse to participate, refuse to compete, refuse to conquer or trick to get ahead and resist, not by fighting, but by turning our fists into open hands. Jacob lets it all go. And Esau, who by his own testimony has been blessed two seasons, and he's been spiritually transformed as well from his own questing, and he doesn't kill his brother as his father might have had him do. Instead, he hugs him kisses him, and he forgives him, and he sees the truth that Jacob sees, the truth that their mother Rebecca carried in her heart all those years that she remained married to that fool of a man clinging to the past. They see that there is more than one blessing in God's kingdom, and the either or thinking of the patriarchal past has to go. The old gods have to die and be buried. And so together, Jacob and Esau return home, and they bury their father Isaac, the one who drove a wedge between them, the divider of the family, the carrier of the old customs, the worshiper of the old gods, who claim to have the power to bless and curse. And they reveal that. In a world of binary thinking, us versus them, mine and yours, winners and losers, Republicans and Democrats, rich and poor, they reveal that we are all invited to see beyond the binary, to step into a larger mind and to glimpse the abundance of God, where we are all enough and there is for everybody. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for this time together. And thank you for heroes like Jacob who fight and resist and change and grow. God, I pray that you'll work in all of our hearts this morning. We may see beyond our own binary thinking and step into the larger mind that you have.